Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. So grateful to see you again. Welcome to church again. Even if it's online, we're praising Jesus here too. Grateful to have this opportunity. It remains still to be a huge honor to be able to bring us our word for today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese. I'm lead pastor here. We want to connect with you. Uh, follow that link below that I'm new. We want to connect with you. If you reach out, if you submit one of those, I'll personally reach out. Let's go get a cup of coffee or something this week, next week, whenever we can. Um, we want to connect. That's truly what we're here. And I just also just wanted to make note of the Carla's announcements about the meeting with the finance team, the oversight team, and with Brian Snyder from our district. If you have further questions, please attend this meeting. We're setting up this time for anyone who wants it to come and have just like a safe space to ask questions. So take us up on that option. It's going to be not this, not today, but next week at 3 p.m. Uh, email will come out. Our email at this point should have already come out and uh, more communication will come. But let's, let's go right on in. Uh, one thing about me that a lot of people know about me is that I absolutely love trivia like useless information i don't think is useless but people say it's useless like i i love it like i really enjoy learning about a whole range of things and so like as pastor it is also my job to give you some trivia and like also allow it to apply to the sermon today but let's start with this like i, I wanted to say like you and i'm speaking to each and every single one of you you have this ability that you don't know how developed and complex it is like you can do something and you do it hundreds of times a day or during the pandemic probably not so much if you're working from home probably not so much but when you go out of your house you do this hundreds and thousands of times every day without even noticing the vast majority of us will never give a second thought to doing this but you do something that supercomputers the best computers in the world cannot do as effectively, efficiently, and as quickly as you can do it. You have this ability that's wired in our brains, God-given, to recognize faces. Like, we, as like our brains, are wired to be able to recognize faces at such a speed, it's like pretty amazing. The average person takes 250 to 290 milliseconds to recognize a familiar face. Like 250 to 290 milliseconds to recognize a familiar face. That's like, that's pretty quick. Your brain, uh, for most of us on average, roughly, it takes 875 milliseconds to recognize an unfamiliar face. Like even just that, even like an unfamiliar face, it takes 875 milliseconds. Just for reference, do you, you, when you blink, that takes about 400 milliseconds. And so right now, I know that there are many of you are blinking right now saying, oh, how fast was that? And I, like, I know that. But like, just think about it. You can recognize a familiar face quicker than you can blink. Like, that's like pretty incredible. That's like really quite amazing that we like God has like wired us to do that like so efficiently. There are also a couple of things that I was reading about, a couple of things that I have stored away. There are two conditions. One is called, I'm going to try and pronounce these, uh, pareidola, pareidolia. And it's this condition that we see faces where faces aren't present. 
Like we are so hardwired to recognize faces that like some people, when you look at an outlet, you see a shocked face. When you look at the clouds, you can like tell faces in it. When you look at a burnt piece of toast, you can see a face in it. Or if you're like me, when you go to the, sh to the bathroom in our shower, the tiles, the patterns on the tiles like look like faces in a couple of different places. And it's like kind of creepy sometimes. But like that is like this condition where we like are so wired to see faces that we see them in places where faces should not be. It's like pretty interesting, right? And then there's also another condition. It's called uh, prosopagnosia or I could have just said the simple way. It's face blindness. And it's when people have the scientists think the center of our brain that like really navigates recognizing faces is called the FAA. I'm not even going to try and pronounce that term, but uh, it's like when that part gets damaged, there are some people they can see faces, not like they just like see a blur, but they have to focus on faces to understand what's happening. They, it's just like when we do unconsciously, they have to like motivate themselves to be able to do and it's just so interesting to me, the science behind recognizing faces and seeing one another and like how quickly it all really happens. And because like I'm preaching here and I'm not just trying to waste your time, like that ties into today's sermon a bit. Today we have like a really, really special sermon, a really special story about a time when some of Jesus's followers we're standing right next to him post his resurrection and they couldn't see him. I wanted to give us some of this medical understanding to say like it had nothing to do with biology with their bodies. Like it had, it was like a spiritual encounter where they were standing next to Jesus and they couldn't see him until they saw him. They couldn't see him until their eyes were opened up by him. It's like this awesome, peculiar story here. Today we are continuing in our sermon series called The Open Table, where for weeks now, like we, we're almost done, we only have two more weeks after today. For weeks we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, looking at how Jesus brought people to the table, how he was brought to the table when invited, and like what happened at these meals and how did he bring the kingdom one meal at a time. And it culminated in last week when we looked at the Passover meal where like Jesus redefined all of reality, all of scripture, all of everything, all of humanity, all the cosmos, like into one meal that was paired with the cross and then with the resurrection. And like, oh, like now we get to like the exciting parts. We get to like the meals post Jesus' resurrection. Selfishly, like I have been looking forward to the, today, next week, and the week after that more than any of the other meals because these are like so fascinating and I don't think the church really teaches this. I've never heard it be taught. I was like, ah, oh, like this is so interesting and this is so meaningful. What the meals that Jesus had after his resurrection are incredible. And so today, like the big idea for today's sermon is that Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and still meet, met people at the table. But in today, something like very unusual happens. What happens when Jesus is at the table and he is not recognized? When, he when we cannot see him. And then we do, and then he disappears out of nowhere. Like today, we're looking at the Emmaus Road we're looking at this peculiar story of what, like how Jesus 
met people at the table, even when he was brought back from the dead. How do we recognize Jesus when it's hard to see him? And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, but before we do, like we always do, let's pray. Let's pray and welcome the Holy Spirit to be with us in the preaching of his word, the hearing, and then the implementing of his word throughout the week. So let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for this day. And before anything else, Holy Spirit, I just, we welcome you here. Welcome into the reading of your word that like changes lives and changes people's eternity. We pray that you would be here like shaping our hearts, guiding my words, like Lord, just uh, that you would be at the heart and at the center of everything that happens on this online service and in our in-person service. Lord, we love you and we want, we gather here to hear from you, to hear what you did, like to hear your story, make it uh, become alive in our hearts like never before. And so, Lord, I thank you for all these things. I, I pray that you be with us, and uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So, like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, and somehow we're going to squeeze two, two sermons out of this, but let's do it. We're going to be reading in Luke 24, starting in verse 25, and we're going to 35. The, the word of the Lord says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. They arose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and, he has, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right, so let's catch up a little bit to what's going on in the story. Last week we preached, remember, the Passover meal, the meal that redefined everything, everything to this one man and what he was about to do, how that meal would serve as our Passover, right? That if we took his meal with him, if we let him host that table in our lives, like if we accepted the blood that he sport, poured out, spray, that was spraying and pouring, spored, uh, that on the cross, that like death would pass over us and he would bring us out of death and into his kingdom. And then since then, like this is the pinnacle, right, of, of all creation. Since that meal, Jesus has been betrayed. He's been taken. Peter has denied him three times already. Pilate and Herod have uh, interviewed him to see if he was guilty. He's been exchanged for Barabbas, a murderer, a killer, a criminal. He's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's been stripped naked. 
He's been spat on. And then they took him and they hung him on a tree. And even on that tree, he prayed for his killer's forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. For they know not what they do. He had a conversation with the two other guys hanging on trees alongside of him. And one of them he forgave and said, even tonight you're going to be in paradise with me. Like, like, what? Like, incredible. And then the unthinkable happened. The Creator let creation kill him. The Creator let death put its hands on him. The light of the world was put out. And then he died. But that's not where Jesus' story ends. Like that, that's not the end of his story. Like even in his death, like God's amazing story of life continues. The first person who acknowledges Jesus as Christ after his death was a Roman centurion. Like what? Like the first person after Jesus' death in all the world, in all creation, in all history, just to like acknowledge that Jesus was Lord was a Roman soldier. Like the last person who should have said that. A man named Joseph who was a part of the religious structure, just like to reinforce that it, like it wasn't all of the people in power, but like it's what people let the power do to their hearts. He goes up to Pilate like because his followers are still like so like mourning and they're so in love with their with their master that he goes up to Pilate and he's like, hey, Pilate, like, can we have his body to bury? Which was like it was at great risk to him. What the custom was in the day was anyone who was crucified was left on the tree they were killed until their bodies rotted off. But like Jesus' followers are like, that can't happen to him. Joseph goes up to Pilate and asks him for his body, which like could have led to his death. And, but Pilate says yes. And they take his body because they love him, right? And they bury him. They bury their master, their leader, their teacher, like, and most importantly, like their friend, their great friend. And they also buried their, their hopes. I mean, just like imagine where these people were at this time, those who like really followed Jesus. Just like imagine where their hearts were at. Like, yeah, they, they like were blind to see what was happening, even though Jesus had told them, but like just put yourself in their shoes. But then Luke 24 comes. Everything changes. Like the Passover meal finds significance. Like it's like true. It's all true. On the third day, a group of women go as custom to take care of Jesus' body. And when they get there, they like realize that the stone is rolled away. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother, Mary, the mother of James and other women, it says, go there. And they go inside and they're like, Where? they can't find him. There's no body there. And like, okay, like, let me interrupt the flow of the sermon one time. And like, I love giving us nerdy nuggets. Like, we need to develop eyes to see what God is really telling in their story because this culture isn't our own. So like our first nerdy nugget for the day comes. We're going to like break some of our ground rules. And we're going to look at the book of John for just a moment because John borrows from like Luke's table themes, like from the themes that happen at the table with Jesus. And he writes this in John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. He says this, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth. 
which had been on Jesus' head, not lying, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Like that is so beautiful. In Jesus' day, when you were at the table, everyone was at the table, and if you needed to get up, you would take your napkin and you would fold it and you would leave it where you were sitting so that everyone knew you were coming back. And like just imagine like the scene in that tomb. Jesus himself is resurrected or one of the angels before they leave, like take the hank the napkin that was over Jesus's head and he folds it, he separates it from the rest of the cloth and he puts it folded there to communicate to the whole world that like he was coming back, that his story was not done. Like that is so incredible. Even in every small detail, God tells his story and orchestrates it perfectly. Like he was coming back. Incredible. But the women go in there and all they find is this, it says they find two men in dazzling clothes, like just amazing clothes. And they say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you he was, while, you were, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and, must, and be crucified on the third day and rise. And it's like, ah, oh, this is incredible. Like, the, also incredible and backwards and upside down of God's kingdom to even give this to women in the first place. Because in the ancient world, like, women's testimony is meant for nothing legally. And so, like, oh, like, God does not care about that. God is, like, always beyond our culture. He's in it in places, but he's, like, always above it. It's like, oh, like, he gave his message of the risen king to women first, like, oh, like, like that's so beautiful. That's like so Jesus-y, isn't it? We've been saying that for weeks now. And the 11 don't believe because it's, the, it's like, oh, that, those group of women, right? They don't believe for themselves. And then we get to today's story, the road to Emmaus. We start, we, in our reading today, started in the middle of the story, and it was just for the sake of time. Nobody wants to hear me read that, that much. I always stumble on my words when I'm reading for some reason. But the road to Emmaus starts in, in verse 24 from up until verses 1 to 12 is the resurrection, is the women finding it. It's like all that, what I just shared, like that incredible encounter. And then verse 13 starts the road to Emmaus. And the, just to like give us the context, this is what happens. Starting in verse 13, two followers are going to this one city that's seven miles away called Emmaus. Two followers who weren't one of the twelve, but I mean now eleven since Judas has uh, killed himself at this point. He's, these two are not one of the eleven, but they were followers of Jesus. They must have seen so many sights, but they weren't for in everything. They weren't in the Passover meal because that was like just the twelve, right? But they had followed Jesus and they were dedicated to him. And they were going to the, the city called Emmaus, which... To this day, we don't know where it is, but it's somewhere seven miles away from Jerusalem in some direction. And they were on their way, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes up to them in verse 16, but it says that they were kept from recognizing him. It's like, okay, the peculiarity of this story is like coming up already. Like Jesus creeps up on them and walks with them, but it says like they're kept from seeing him. Okay, interesting. And then verse 17, he's just like, hey, like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's going on? And in verse 18, they're like, well, like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what we're talking about? Like, what's going on here? Everyone knows what's been happening. 
And Jesus, being Jesus-y, he says, what things? And then, like, uh, verses 19 and 21, like, paint the picture of what everyone who followed Jesus must have been feeling like in the day. It said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Like, ah, like that like breaks my heart when I read that. Like, ah, we had hoped that he was the one. Like, we thought he was the one. Like, now he's dead. Like, they heartbroken and confused. But, like, Jesus continues to be Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And in verse 25, he, like, starts to change this whole story. He says, Oh, foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and begin from Moses and beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so like today, like I couldn't set all one story, so we have big three points for us today. The first one being Jesus is God's story. Once Jesus like interrupts them and he takes over that conversation in verse 25, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And like, oh, this is so subtle, but it is so important because this demonstrates that like, Jesus is God's story. All along, all along, God has been telling one story. And it's like, oh, pointed to Jesus. The fact that Jesus goes and is with these followers of his, the people who we don't even like really understand who they are, but Jesus meets them in this place, keeps them from seeing them, and he's like starts to talk about the Old Testament. And what is like this is so important because he's like, here, you know what? All of the Hebrew Bible that was about me. Like all this story that God has been telling for centuries and centuries and centuries. Like he's been preparing you to receive me. Like, yeah, all that stuff is legitimate for that time, for those people. Yeah, but like somehow all of it also talks about me. And it's like so vitally important because we are not who we are unless Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's like pairing. He's like, that's all been about me. Like, this is all pointing to me. That was all preparing itself for me. God's story all points to me. F. F. Bruce, he's one of my favorite commentators, and he writes this. He says, The Old Testament is a book of unsatisfied longings and unfulfilled promises which found their fulfillment when Christ came. It's like, yeah, like, ah, oh, like, the, the Old Testament stands on itself, right? But it also, like, points to Jesus all over the place. It prepares us to receive the Christ, not that we wanted, not that we would have written into the story, but, like, that God was, like, always going to be and that is said that there's no other name but jesus that saves there's like no other plan that god put on this earth other than the name of jesus and yeah like in god's wisdom he allows people who never to hear about him to like have fair judgment but like oh, it's like it's all about jesus like F.F. Uh, F. Bruce also points out the different like character, Messiah characters that are talked about in the Old Testament. He talks about the shepherd of Israel, 
right? The gentle, lowly shepherd who will care for Israel and bring it under its care, right? Yeah, in Psalm 23, the shepherd has a rod, but like mostly the shepherd is like going to bring us to pastures and care for us. But then like the Old Testament also talks about this king of glory and righteousness. He writes here, who will rule the nations with a rod of iron and scatter the enemies of his people. It's like, yeah, like, Lord, I need this. We need this to be so because sin and injustice can't win out. And in the end, like, it like needs to be answered to and you will. But like, oh, like, I like Jesus, I need you to be that one. But that one was the one that we all expected. That in like political clothing is like the one that we all would have wanted, that Israel wanted in that day. But then like Jesus is coming here, he's like, oh, like, you know, I'm also the suffering servant. I'm the man of sorrows. That's how I chose to save. Like that's how you find your salvation is through me becoming a curse, through me becoming poor so that you can become rich. Like this whole story is about all of these parts of who I am, who like the Messiah that I came to be. The whole Bible is a story that points to Jesus. Everything before the Gospels faces towards the Gospel. And everything after the Gospels looks back at what Jesus did to make sense of life. Like, oh, incredible, this whole story is about him. And like, oh, we got to move on, like time's ticking away. The second point is that Jesus is the host. Really peculiarly in the story, twice, Jesus takes this point of leadership that was like unexpected in their culture. Unexpected to what should have normally happened, what would have normally happened. The first time is when they are just walking, right? And Jesus comes into their conversation and he asks them a question, like he's just like, starts off with a question and not too long, a couple verses later, he's the one leading the whole conversation, right? He's the one who is opening up all the scriptures from Moses to the prophets and saying how the whole story leads to the suffering servant. We're like, oh, like, okay, like that took a turn. That was a bit weird, like two people walking and talking and then Jesus kind of like takes over that conversation. And then they get the two get to where they were going and it says here, nerdy nugget number two for the day, it says that Jesus was pretending like he was going to keep on going, right? Which to us might seem fake, but like that is how hospitality worked in Jesus' day. It would have been rude for Jesus not to pretend like he wanted to keep on going. Like in their, in their culture, hospitality was so important and you had to like, not pretend, but feign, like you have to like, okay, like I'll keep on going. It's rude if I just invite myself over. I'll give you this opportunity to let me in. And okay, okay, you let me in. Thank you so much. Like that's how it worked. That's how hospitality really went. Like Jesus was being a gentleman here. He was like being a responsible uh, Hebrew person at this time. And then they invite him in and they go and meet at the table. And like something sh like quite shocking happens. In verse 30 and 31, it says, when he, he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. Like the fact that like, Jesus, this stranger, well, not like, he, to them, he's just a stranger. Like, that this stranger led them in the meal. It was like, why? That wouldn't have happened. Like we have some rules in our culture about the head of the table, right? Like, I grew up with some of those. Maybe that's more Brazilian than American. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But um, it's like unexpected for Jesus to lead that meal. But then when he does, it, like their eyes are opened and they see who he is. 
And like the point here for that is like Jesus is the host of everything. Like he's the host of life that when we come to his table, our eyes are opened. That Jesus himself is the one who gives us all revelation. Like, like Jesus, like I'm, I'm blind. I can't see you until I see you and then there you are. Like you open my eyes. Like metaphorically speaking, like okay, when we go to Jesus' table, that's when our eyes can be opened. And it's like so interesting that he met with these two who weren't in the twelve. But Jesus did everything he did at the Passover meal and it was good enough for them to see, to like really see. He did the four things that he did at the Passover meal. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Like the same thing. And for these two who weren't at the Passover meal, like it's, it was still enough to open their eyes. When Jesus is the host, like revelation comes. When we go to Jesus and give him a shot and sit at the table with him, when we, like, we invite him in our life, when we read about his story, when we talk to people who don't know him, like that's an invitation to sit at his table and like he opens eyes. That's what he does. That's who he is. Like everything changes when we meet him, when we go to his table, when we give him a shot, when curious people ask questions and seeds are planted. Like Jesus waters them and he opens our eyes. Jesus is the only one who truly does this. Jesus is the perfect host and everything that he offers brings you life. And then our last point for today is like, is called seeing Jesus. 31 and 32 says this, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, while he opened to us the scriptures? And we're like, okay, like, what? Like, what? <laughs> Like, what's going on here, Jesus? Like, they finally see him. Their eyes are opened. And then as soon as they see, he's gone. Like, what, Jesus, what in the world is that all about? Like, isn't that the one moment that you, like, need to stay? Like, what's the point of you opening their eyes and then just, like, vanishing, like, being a ghost? Like, <laughs> what is the lesson here? Like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Like, what upside-down kingdom value are you teaching us? It's, like, so interesting. And, like, I think this is the heart of what he's doing here. I think Jesus is teaching us that, like, yeah, he opens eyes. But then sometimes he vanishes. Like, yeah, like, I can open up your eyes, but sometimes I'm going to disappear. It's like, don't ever think that you can figure Jesus all out. Like, don't ever think you can put him in a box. Like, don't ever think you can put him on the palm of your hand because you think he's there and then you turn your head and you look over and he's gone. Like, he's gone. He's bigger than us. Jesus is always beyond us. He makes himself known. He makes, him, like, he makes himself close to us. But, like, be careful because he can disappear. It's not that he leaves us. It's not that he'll abandon you. It's like, oh, like, be careful. Don't think that you always have him figured out. Don't think that you can play games with Jesus and win. Like, don't play that you, don't think that you can play religion with Jesus because he'll be right there and then the next moment he won't be. 
And like, isn't just, isn't this how like life just works often? Doesn't that like feel right? Isn't that like our experiences a lot of the times? Is that one day we, we like, we're there, right? And he's really there and we're really with him. And then we look up and we're like, oh, like, where is he? Where'd he go? It's like, what is Jesus teaching us in those times? I think for many of those instances, what Jesus is like really saying is like, hey, like when he disappears, don't say, oh, he wasn't who I thought he was or, oh, he was fake or like, oh, he doesn't love me. It's like this invitation to keep on finding him, to keep on looking for him, to get back out on there on the road and like wait for him to come back, to like look for him in the dark to keep the passion alive, to keep the relationship going, to like invest and like, don't be lazy, don't be comfortable, but like chase him, find him. Like he, he's already opened your eyes once, he can do it again, like keep looking for him. Don't assume that he's in your back pocket whenever you need a blessing. Like this is a relationship with a God who is so beyond us. He made everything by speaking it into being. Like, ugh. Jesus will never fit into your pocket very neatly. The Bible Project, who I'm a huge fan of, they say it like this and like about this story, and I think it's quite perfect. They say this story is about how it's hard to see Jesus for who he really is. I mean, how could God's royal power and love be revealed through this man's shameful execution? How could a humble man become the king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? It's very hard to see. It's like, oh, like, that's true. Even the upside-down nature of like, what God did in his story, like, oh, it's hard to see for us at times. Like, it's hard for us even to grasp, but, you know, it's true. And this meal, this Passover meal this, that's paired with the resurrection and with the cross, like, opens our eyes. And let's just see, like, what's really there. And it also reminds me of Narnia. It reminds me when Lucy is, like, learning about Aslan for the first time. About, like, how Jesus is always beyond us. He's, like, a bit wilder than we ever imagined and more than we would ever really want him to be. And she says this, like, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Oh, that like fits Jesus so perfectly. Like, yeah, like oh, he's huge. He's beyond us. He's wild. He's crazy, but he loves you and he's good. And so, like, let's conclude this a little bit to, like, wrap up today. At the end of this story, they leave that hour, even though it was late, right? Even though that's why they told Jesus to come. Like, they needed to leave and go to the disciples to tell them what had happened. And they go to them. They find them in Jerusalem with the whole group of people that they were hiding with there. And this is their testimony. They say this. Verse 35 says, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Like, oh, it's not a coincidence that Jesus met these two at the table and their eyes were open when he served them a meal. 
Like, uh, like, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Like the taking of the Passover meal with them. It opened their eyes and he disappeared because he's always beyond us, but he's like, he will be found by us. And like, they are left here wondering and waiting. Like, they like, okay, several times now they have evidence that Jesus is alive, but they're waiting. I was like, oh. Like, that's so crazy to think about. And Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's out here doing all these weird things, but he will be found. And so I just, like, want to talk to a few of us really quickly. If you're here, and you are not a Christian, you don't yet believe, you're exploring, and you're curious, and you have all of these questions, like, what does this really mean for you and I like I want to say that like honestly and lovingly that like if you have not gone to Jesus's table meaning if you like don't know his story who he was and what he did and what he said you like your eyes are still closed but you're in a good place because you're hearing about him like keep doing that whether it's here or at another church or with other people like continue to explore who Jesus is because at his table your eyes will be open for the first time. And you will see the one who made you and who loves you perfectly. No other name saves. No other name offers what the Passover offers than our Passover lamb, Jesus. And then for us who are believers, but we often find that he's gone. Like he, we thought he was right there and he's gone. Like keep looking, keep searching, keep fighting, keep holding on, keep exploring, keep deconstructing your faith to build up a new one like oh like this is like jesus will be found by those who find him and so church i, I love you i know this was a long sermon today but um oh, these resurrection meals are so powerful we uh, i love you i don't have a good ending beyond that but um we'll see each other in our mcs this week we'll see each other in church next week just a reminder to everyone listening, we are meeting in person every Sunday, 165 Newark Avenue. Um, we would love to see you, to meet you in person. Connect with us, the church. Email us at info at citylifenj if you have any questions. Email me personally at preese at citylifenj if you have any questions. Uh, we want to connect with you. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you soon. Bye.